Hello, this is the fourth in a series of podcasts by Wrigley Solicitors concerning the new General Data Protection Regulations and their impact on charities, schools and other social sector organisations. My name is Sue King and I'm here with my colleague Peter Parker and we'll be looking at whether your data protection consents are fit for purpose. So Pete, what are the requirements for obtaining consent under the GDPR and how is that going to be different from the current data protection regime? Well, Sue, I think the first point to start with really is that the GDPR will set a very high standard for consents to data processing, which as we discussed earlier includes things like storing and using individuals' personal data in order for those consents to be effective. The ICO's stated aim is to really move away from a single and simple box-ticking exercise to actively manage consent, where the individual providing consent has ongoing control over the use of their data. So the intention is that consent isn't a sort of a one-off exercise, it is something that a, an individual can revisit over time. The main effect of GDPR in relation to the obtaining of consent is really on the mechanisms for how you go about obtaining that consent. And GDPR requires records of consent to be maintained, with simple methods for withdrawing consent to be made available, and for consent to be obtained explicitly and unambiguously. And what I mean really by a simple method of withdrawing consent is that it should be as easy to withdraw consent as it was to give it in the first place. I think it's also just worth reflecting that there are some new rules that apply on obtaining consent from children to personal to process their personal data. Any consent obtained from children must be written in a language which is clear and easy to understand. The child must be able to make the decision and consent themselves. Furthermore, in order to obtain consent when providing services through the internet, other than things like preventative or counselling services offered to a child, parental consent will need to be obtained in the absence of any other reason for processing the data. Helpfully, I think the ICO is in the process of developing specific guidance in relation to consent provided by children. So how will the new requirements for consent um, affect the day-to-day obtaining of consent by organisations? I think, Sue, I think there are probably seven um, uh, particular impacts. First, under GDPR, consent must be separate from other terms and conditions of service, while consent to the processing of data cannot be a precondition to the access to services themselves, and I deal with that latter point a bit later. But this is really all about removing the consent from an embedded set of terms and conditions that generally apply to a contractual relationship between two parties. Second, pre-tick boxes are invalid under the GDPR. There must be an active opt-in to provide consent. Third, consent to different types of data processing must be obtained separately wherever possible. For example, If consent is obtained to use an email address to provide marketing from one organisation, a separate consent should be obtained before that data is shared with another organisation. Fourth, each third party relying on the consent must be named, 
it will no longer be acceptable to generalise sharing of data, for example, by stating that the data will be shared with a selected group of third parties. Fifth, records evidencing what the individual consented to and when and how they consented must be kept. It will not be sufficient merely to record that consent has been obtained in the first place. Sixth, individuals must be informed that they have the right to withdraw their consent at any time and also be informed of how to do this. A simple and effective withdrawal mechanism must be put in place and I suspect put on the form of consent that an individual may actually give. And finally, seventh, consent will not be able to be given where there is a significant imbalance in the relationship between the individual and the data controller. This means that, for example, employers will not be able to obtain consent for data processing from employees and must therefore process such data relying on an alternative justification, such as legitimate interest, which will be discussed in a later podcast. So, Pete, what does this mean in relation to consents that have already been obtained? Well, it doesn't automatically mean that those consents are suddenly now useless. Um, Any consent previously obtained under the existing regulations can still be used, provided it meets the requirements of the GDPR. Mechanisms in order to withdraw consent must always be put in place, and each consent must be properly documented. So if the criteria for obtaining consent are not met, or if the record of the consent is not adequate, a new GDPR-compliant request will be needed. I think in reality this means that organisations need to look very closely at their form of consents, because if they follow that classic uh, embedded short text at the end of a form, it's unlikely to satisfy the requirements of the GDPR. Yes, yes, I can see that point, but how can organisations really ensure that consent to process data is valid? I suppose um, just to sort of focus everyone's mind again on on the, the impact of getting GDPR wrong, failure to properly obtain consent can erode trust in organisations, but perhaps more importantly, the ICO can impose significant fines of up to 4% of worldwide turnover for failing to properly obtain consent. To ensure that consent is properly given, it must be freely given and must be specific, informed and unambiguous. In order to be freely given, consent must be able to be refused without detriment to the individual. Rather confusingly, therefore, this means that if consent is a condition to be able to access a service, but the consent is not necessary to provide the service, then the consent will be invalid. The individual consenting must be aware of who will be using the data, why, and how the data is being processed, and that the individual has a right to withdraw their consent at any time. This should be done in clear, unambiguous language, whilst the consent itself must always clearly show that consent is being provided by a positive act indicating explicit consent to the processing of data. I think it's worth flagging that a positive act could include a tick box or it could include a signature by the individual themselves. Consent, once provided, does not last forever. The relevance of consent given will depend on the context but organisations should consider refreshing consents at appropriate intervals in order to ensure that any consent previously given 
is still valid. The ICO has produced a checklist to assist organisations ensuring that their consent procedures are in line with GDPR requirements and I would strongly advise any listener to have a look at that on the ICO's website. Right, so thanks Pete. Uh, it seems that organisations would be well advised to be looking at the form of consent they use and where consent is the lawful basis on which they process data and they should also be looking at how those consents are recorded and updated from time to time. So now organisations have a good idea of whether their consents are fit for purpose. We shall consider in the next podcast whether you have a legitimate interest to process data at all.